0: Whatever is born of mortal birth must be consumed within the earth to rise from generations free. Then what have I to do with thee? Welcome to Stage Blather, a weekly podcast exploring theatre and performance based in Scotland. My name is Sam Haddow, and you're listening to Episode 9 Impossible Communities. So. Where do I start? Uh, It's 13.40 on the 1st of July 2016. Since the last episode was recorded, as I suppose most of you are aware, uh, Britain voted to leave the EU. And as soon as that happened, things got weirder and weirder. It's a bit like someone's taken uh, an enormous chessboard and chucked it up in the air, and like we're all now huddled around the squares as these massive pieces start smashing down around us. And we're not huddled together. Uh, In fact, as far as I can tell... We're staring at each other with no small amount of fear and suspicion. It's like uh, division is a kind of virus. You know, Britain divides from the EU. The populace divides in halves because of a stupid referendum. Scotland divides or seeks its division from England. The wounds of division between Ireland and Northern Ireland open up again, in you know, sort of violently ripped open. Um, political parties are dividing, atomizing. in fact, battleizing. You know, generations are dividing. It's the boomers versus the millennials. Families are dividing. All is disunity and chaos. So, you know, there's a cheerful place to start. Um, in my previous job, we had this first-year course that was mandatory for all of the students, which was called Key Concepts, where they would be introduced to a range of terms and ideas that were fundamental to the practice of making theatre. Now, this was an applied theatre course. And applied theatre is a term that we generally give to types of theatre that have a social agenda. And then they set out, they try to change... Um, or encourage change, something in the broader context of the performance. So that's everything from like public performance to prison theatre, theatre for children, educational theatre, to certain types of stand up and uh, drag queen shows, drag king shows. And for this kind of theatre, the concept of community is fundamental. You try to create a community of participants. You try to make theatre that is about, that is for, and sometimes that is by a local community. You try to identify and celebrate aspects of a given community that bring people together, that are positive and inclusive. And you try to challenge those aspects of communities that are negative and divisive. Because a community is defined by the things that bring people together, isn't it? But in the last week, we've got to start asking, well, can a community be brought together by its divisions? Or is that actually not impossible? Um, But, as the Scottish comedian Frankie Boyle tweeted on the day of the referendum, it's good to see an election where we focused on what unites us, which, sadly, is hatred. Now, I'm obviously not going to be able to answer any questions about the possibility of forming communities in the wake of the EU referendum and in the uncertain days ahead. I wish I could. All I can really do is provide some critical views on the concept of community itself, and make a couple of pleas towards the importance of collective identity. I am not going to talk informatively about the events of the referendum and Brexit either. And But if you want to hear about that, I would really advise you to go and listen to State of the Theory because they've just done an episode last Saturday, in fact, or, yeah, it was last Saturday, I think two days after the referendum, a very uh, brave, insightful, very excellent and a very depressing episode where they talked about Brexit in the light of class politics. And I think actually that they're the only people I've so far heard or read that have really done that. Uh, and if you haven't listened to it, then I, I'd recommend going there. Um, But the referendum has clearly inspired this episode. And uh, before I get into the main bit, uh, there's also just something I need to talk about, which is this term that somehow crept into public parlance, which has been really freaking me out until I learned to accept it. Now, the term is post-factual. Apparently, we live in a post-factual society now, which, as far as I can tell, is another way of saying lies or fantasy, whichever way you want to look at it. and this is because it's been revealed that the, you know, a lot of the arguments that were made by prominent politicians in the run-up to the referendum were actually uh, not true, or fibs, as we might call them. But then they, they've come up with this kind of cutesy, psychobabble portmanteau to describe the articulation of whopping great lies as post-factual. Now, I tend, I'd sympathise with uh, Michel Foucault, who says that discourse makes the world. You know, We say stuff, and in saying stuff, we materialise the things that we are saying. So if we are going to live in a post-factual society and I have accepted this now, but I want some stuff to happen. I want Michael Gove to go to work on a really, really little horse wearing a suit of armour. And when they ask him what he's going to do, he can say, I'm fighting dragons. I want, you know, get Boris Johnson to dress like a distressed flamingo and then stick him in a bird's nest on top of the Houses of Parliament. Let's get Donald Trump's golf course to be invaded by thousands of hobbits who uh, churn up the manicured greens and start hosting knitting competitions to see who can make the biggest tractor out of wool. Uh, or, in, you know, biggest, um, let's get uh, those... Um, de- declare the movement a species of fish why not there's a wonderful moment in Rory Malarkey's latest play uh, uh, where he says there's a character that decrees that on Wednesday everybody should dress like mermaids and you know let's let's have that let's bring all that in we live in a post-factual society who cares who cares whether what we say is true or not or you know whether we abide by any kind of rules of logic anymore it's post-factual right I'm back sorry Uh, just needed to get that off my chest normal service is about to resume Uh, there is a serious point to that though because discourse is important because discourse is the script by which our reality is determined. So if you start legitimising post-factual, then you open up our reality, our world, to a whole host of really troubling things, where, for example, a lot of people can vote for something based on nothing other than lies, and that is okay. And also, I, I refer you back to the episode two weeks ago where we talked about the framing of refugees in image and text, and how this was capable of swaying, to a, a huge degree, public opinion and sympathy Um uh, to the plight of displaced peoples. I mean, the discourse with Ireland Curdie was that this, you know, we, we, uh, humanising a conflict which was then quickly changed up to the point at which we got, you know, people like, um... What's, oh, well, Nigel Farage unveiling that poster uh, where there's just a large group of people and suddenly it's no longer the individual child, it's a huge mass of people who are coming to take our jobs. And what about last week's episode? I said that Joe Cox's murder would be reframed in the light of the referendum result. But I was wrong, wasn't I? It wasn't reframed, it just disappeared. A woman was murdered on the streets of Britain for her political beliefs and we maintained an interest for about 48 hours? The discourse changed. And she was lost. So, we get to community. What does that word mean now? Who are our communities? Who is we? Or, there was the William Blake poem that I quoted at the beginning... What have I to do with thee? That's you know you get these things where sometimes um, a text will become important to you at different times in your life. Well, that was a poem I learned when I was 18 for my A levels, and at different times over the course of my life, it's been important, and it's been ringing in my head for the last week. Of what have I to do with thee? This strange suspicion and separateness that I feel to so many people who live, you know, in geographical proximity to me, but with whom I clearly have very little in common anymore. I have to say that I've always hated the word community, or at least as far as I can remember. It's like four syllables of piety, stacked one on top of the other, each one more needling and holier than thou than the last. You know, community is the kind of word that comes with a clipboard and like a series of pointless multi-choice questions for which your answers will be scrutinized to determine your suitability. Because however much we might claim that community is inclusive, is you know, it's a collective concept, it is also by its very nature exclusive. You define a community, you define who is in and who is not in. It essentializes too, you know, we are not the same, we do not have the same thoughts or the same interests or the same feelings or whatever, but our membership of a community standardises us into a set of relatable beings. It takes a life of its own as well. Suddenly, things must be done in the interests of the community. Or worse, things are not in the interests of the community. I always think of, like, football games on um, Village Greens at that point. Not in the interest of the community. Sort of. Um, community sacrifices individuality and independence for the lowest common denominator. This, uh, 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 this is kind of how I feel about it. This is why I hate it, apart from the aesthetics. You know, it, it can quickly turn from a shared space into a breeding ground for small-mindedness and, and belligerent conservatism. So... If that's the case, then why do we keep it? Why am I not, you know, celebrating the fact that community is now a term that is lying in tatters? Why not just, you know, bury it, have done with it? Um, and it's a good question, and it's one that I can't answer. But I'm going to try, and I'm going to turn to somebody who I think maybe can answer, um, which is a French philosopher, uh, Jean-Luc Nancy. Uh, who has written extensively about what he calls an inoperative community, where he tries to develop his own theory of community. I'm not an expert on Nancy, it must be said, and I often actually find him quite difficult to talk about, but I think that of all the people I know that that have written on community, his is the one that makes the most sense to me at the moment, so that's the one I'm going to talk about. Um, He starts in... A useful place he says the individual can be the origin and the certainty of nothing but its own death on its own in other words the individual produces and develops nothing nothing of its own individuality nothing of its own essence nothing of its own being it needs others and it needs communities of others in order to reveal to itself its own individuality without other people I am nothing Nothing of what I am right now, what I've become, what has been made of me and so on, would be possible without the people who've been around me over the course of my life. And it's a paradox uh, in some ways, because what Nancy says is that we uh, need other people around us so that we become aware of our own individuality. And becoming aware of our own individuality, we therefore reveal our own separateness from other people, a separation that is impossible to overcome. We cannot connect with other people. I mean, we can find uh, you know, shared interests and so on, and for a period, brief period of time we might develop relationships and so on, friendships, but but in terms of, of a collective with the other and the other being everybody that is not me that is actually impossible. Um, now, in that quote that I, I just said, he talks about death um, and that this is really important for Nancy. Death is an event that cannot be uh shared it absolutely cannot be shared and in because of this it cements our separateness from one another somebody else dies and it is somebody else's death it is an event that i cannot possibly begin to understand because i have no you know basis for uh, comparison i don't know what death feels like and i won't until i die and when i die other people will not be able to understand the event of my death either it is something which um absolutely concretizes the fact that we are distinct and separate from one another. Now, we can celebrate sacrificial heroes, or we can mourn victims, people like, in fact, Joe Cox and Lee Rigby, who become uh, emblematic of a bigger tragedy. But the experience of death itself is beyond our reach. Now, it's, it's kind of, it's a bit odd. Death is something that we hide away from in the 21st century in Britain and in many countries around the world. It's Death is something that happens in hospitals, or in traffic accidents, or... Far off battlefields, and dead bodies are concealed in wooden caskets, or you know they're cremated and so on. It's something. I mean, I've never seen a dead body. I don't don't know how many people listen have seen dead bodies, but it's something from which I have been completely insulated. And that is uh, sociologically and anthropologically speaking, a bit weird. I mean, former societies' death was an absolute part of their society, and a dead body would be something that would be part of that society. Now, Nancy's the theory that Nancy have, has for why death is concealed from us is to do with capitalism. He says that uh, death represents a kind of, of functionlessness and a meaninglessness that capitalism cannot stand. Capitalism has to find a way of profiting upon everything. Everything must be turned over to the profit machine. And death represents a complete rejection of profit. Uh, now, I suppose that that's a conversation for another time. I can't really speak to whether or not Nancy's right in respect, but I think I, what I can say for certain is that certainly is that we are insulated from death itself. Now, Nancy takes a lot from the philosophy of Georges Bataille. Bataille uh, was an early 20th century philosopher who said that uh, the individual's relationship to death exposed it to something beyond itself, or in other words, to the community. So the very fact of the impossibility of our relationship with death opens us up to the idea that there is something bigger than us that we are incapable of grasping. And that space of impossibility is what Bataille and later um, Nancy would come along and say is community. So because I experience the death of another person as something that is completely beyond my grasp, I finally recognise an absolute world that is beyond myself. And because other people are experiencing the same thing, it is in this place that we can, we, we, we can connect. And this is where community happens. So we connect in the very fact that we all have this impossible relationship to death. Now, Bataille, Bataille is a bit of a weird character. He had this um, particularly bonkers idea about starting what he called a sacrificial community, where a group of people would gather together and they would sacrifice one of them. One of them would be decapitated. Um, and it, I think it, was, it always was decapitation with him. And the remaining members would then be connected at a kind of spiritual level, since they'd shared in the impossible uh, you know, communion of death. And the, the, <laughs> kind of one of those wonderful... Uh, anecdotes of philosophy is that uh, he did actually try to do this. He had he got a bunch of friends together, and they all agreed that they would have this sacrificial community. But the problem was that they couldn't find anybody who would volunteer to be the executioner. They all volunteered to have their heads cut off, but none of them actually cut off anybody else's head, so they never did it. So it was actually it was kind of a failed idea, attempt to produce this this kind of ridiculous notion of a sacrificial community. So Nancy is also quite sceptical of, of the the um, the notion of a sacrificial community, but he takes this idea that that the impossible relationship to death is the basis of, of, of a community, and what he calls an inoperative community. Now, an inoperative community, for Nancy, is where people are brought together, not because of the things that they share in common, but because of the things that they cannot share in common. The experiences that resist collective identification, because if they resist collective identification, then they cannot be standardised, they cannot be essentialized, they cannot be ground down into a kind of homogenous mass. They maintain the individual, but they also indicate the point at which the individual needs and is actually connected to other people. Nancy um, frames this idea of community against, as the kind of the uh, the opposite to Nazi Germany. He says Nazi Germany was, a, was an attempt to create a society that was grounded precisely in the things that everybody shared. And that was to a degree of absolute insanity, where you know, it was uh, a kind of genetic sharing. And and because it was this, this, this insane genetic sharing, anybody that did not comply with that communal group could be killed. And their killing could be morally and logically acceptable. People living within Nazi Germany were brought to such a state of community that was supposedly about the things that they had in common that they were then able to accept and to morally justify the murder of people who did not belong to that community. Now, I'm not necessarily drawing connections between Nazi Germany and Katie Hopkins. Um, actually, no, I am drawing, because yeah, this is the thing. She, Katie Hopkins, a journalist who writes for The Sun, who described um, refugees as cockroaches. And, of course, we had David Cameron who described refugees as a swarm. And the, uh, the 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 language that the Hopkins used actually is the same kind of language that the um, Nazis used about anybody who did not comply with their notion of the uh, the ubermensch, the, the Nazi um, Volk. They called them cockroaches or vermin or whatever. And by calling them cockroaches or vermin, they were able to um, turn these people into aliens, such aliens that their lives and deaths were immaterial to those who were otherwise, you know, we might think of as... As functioning human beings. Now that, for Nancy, is what you get, is is the kind of the the absolute logic of a community that is based upon shared ideology. It is ultimately going to end up fascistic. So what he does is he tries to build this idea of a community that is based upon difference, based upon the things that we cannot share, and those are the things, paradoxically, that we end up sharing. so the example of Nazi Germany is really important because it highlights not only the dangers of trying to build communities based on commonalities, which inevitably leads to exclusion. Well, you know, we reject those who do not share our values or genetics or geographical proximity or whatever the collective criteria is supposed to be, um, but also that they pervert and they disintegrate those things which by which we define and make sense of ourselves. So if we try to build communities on the things that we share, we lose the things that make us individuals and people in the first place, and we become something else, something less than human. And so, again, to return to to the examples from this, this show, it should be unthinkable... That we would be capable as and me, you, people listening, whatever people in the UK at the moment and in you know, broader countries around Europe and anybody anybody who saw that photograph of Island Cody, basically, it should be unthinkable that we would be capable of detaching ourselves from the effective consequences of the drowning of a three-year-old boy. That should be something to which we have an absolute effective connection, an impossible connection. Yes, because we cannot understand his death, but that impossibility is something that we should that should present itself to us as. Um, An emotional impact but we have detached ourselves from the effective consequences of the drowning of a three-year-old boy and we've done that because the broader community that has been shaped and created and energized in public debates around the UK for the last few months but of course the roots go back much 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 further than that um, this community has determined Island Cody to be a figure and a figurehead of that which is outside of our community. And I, I say our community in, in full knowledge that I don't know, I think as a white British man, I probably am considered to be part of our community in the way that Nigel Farage understands it. I know that most of my friends in Edinburgh who do not come from Britain um, would not be considered part of that community. I know that my colleagues um, would not be considered part of that community and I feel deeply uncomfortable in being identified as somebody who... Uh, supposedly has the right set of values to be our kind of person. But that community has been, um, we've allowed that community to, to be shaped in public debate. We've given a mouthpiece to Nigel Farage. We've um, legitimised his views. We've allowed him to speak to the concerns and the fears and, and the anger of a lot of people in society who have then followed him. And I think that's this, this is why Nancy's ideas are becoming more important to me, because... We, we, this this kind of weird sense of community that is based apparently on a shared fear of immigration, or at least that is what's been presented to us, is the one that is now being given the loudest mouthpiece in Britain. And it's like all of a sudden, this idea of a British community is something that is 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 based on collective hatred. And we should have to return to Cody. We, we should have each have an indi- an individual, impossible relationship to his death. And by having that relationship and maintaining that relationship, we should be able to share in that, and we should be able to therefore create uh, bonds um, or maintain a sense of community as a consequence. But that was not in the interests of public figures such as Nigel Farage, or Katie Hopkins for that matter, who wanted us, or who still want us, on the one hand, to identify as a community with shared values, and on the other hand, to isolate ourselves absolutely from one another by denying the singularity of our own experiences. Now... Uh, as I said, I, I don't know where to go from this. Um, it's a weird week, and it's—I I think it's a week that I've spent more time on social media than I, I have I've done in the past. And the kind of the, 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 the confusion and the hysteria and uncertainty that has been kicked up as a consequence of the Brexit is extraordinary. Um, but. I'm trying to remember, there was a quote from Tony Blair after 9-11, which has gone down as one of those really, really horribly prescient things where he said, the pieces are now in flux, and it is our um, opportunity to make the world as we see fit. And in some ways, you know, Blair, he then goes on to say, we we could try to sort out uh, the situation in the occupied territories in Palestine and so on. But he had this, like, almost crusade-based zeal about how, because of 9-11, because of the shock of 9-11, this is when we could remake the world in, in our image. And if you read um, Naomi Klein's Shock Doctrine, which is an excellent book, um, she talks about how people who have a vested interest in, society, in societal change will often swoop in at points of particular uh, disorganisation or disruption in order to capitalise upon that confusion to serve their own ends. She talks, she opens the book with a discussion of Hurricane Katrina, um, where in the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, people started going into Katrina and privatising the education system in a way that nobody in America had been able to do so before. That is going to happen for us. Um, at the moment, as I record this podcast now, nobody, it seems, is able to capitalise upon the fear and confusion of the post-EU referendum world to their own ends. But a lot of them are trying. And I think that this is why I find the notion of community right now to be of fundamental importance. Because unless we can find ways of coming together, even if it is through the things that... In fact, no, not even. Particularly if it is through the things that we uh, share that are different, the narratives will be set for us again. And the country that we are living in, or you know, currently living in, I live in Scotland, so very shortly it's probable that I will not be living in Britain anymore, I'll be living in Scotland. Which is a strange feeling. Um that the communities in which we exist, in which we share, the quality of those communities will be set by people who do not have our interests at heart and, in fact, may prove to be, as has recently been demonstrated, extremely detrimental to our interests. I read this um, term recently, uh, in fact, yesterday, I believe, which was thanatocracy, that we're heading towards a thanatocracy, which I think is a really good way of summing up the consequences of of the referendum. Um, Thanatos is a Greek death god and in Freudian psychoanalysis Thanatos represents the death drive which is the compulsion towards destruction um, and chaos that is always at war with uh, the compulsion towards survival and so Thanatocracy means we we currently have a democracy of death, of the the death drive and that really does kind of feel to me what we're heading towards. Um, Because we're a country divided and I mentioned earlier it was a stupid referendum. I think it was a stupid referendum because if you give an entire country a multi-choice question where they've got to choose A or B, then you are going to automatically create two distinct groups of people. And if the consequences of that referendum are as great as they have been, then there is going to be a profound distrust and anger between those two groups of people, whoever votes for them. And that's before you, you remember that there is no nuance or complication afforded by the referendum. You know, you couldn't say, yes, I want to stay in the EU, but I want it reformed. You couldn't say, no, I, I don't want to stay in the EU, but it's got nothing to do with immigration. You kind of had to lump in with one group or another. And the loudest voices in the Leave campaign, and since, were people who were promoting racist and xenophobic agendas. And it is to them that public attention, as well as the qualities of community that supposedly are represented in Britain, have been uh, directed. So... This is the, the unease that I now feel is, is is that I'm living in a community, a national community, I suppose, that is xenophobic, and that's not the case at all. Of course, it's a, it's a minority of people within one side of, of, the, of a debate that should never have happened in the first place who have managed to set the agenda for the rest of us. And this notion of us and them is only going to increase the reduction of groups of individuals to lowest common denominator homogeneity. And at the same time, it's also going to render people incapable of communing with one another. Uh, I want, I'm i going to just to finish up I wanted to talk about the Anarcho Folk Festival um, in Inverness which I went to uh, last week I haven't got very long but I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit uh, the Anarcho Folk Festival was a DIY festival that was on a farm and it was very small I think probably three to four hundred people um, it was Wonderfully unorganised. Uh, they had the, the, the Facebook group said, "If you know, if you want to play, just let us know. If you want to do a workshop or something, just let us know." Um, they had no stalls selling food. They had a communal kitchen where you could take food and donate it, and so on. If you wanted to, you could make food and share it out, but you were not allowed to do it for money. Um, they had a couple of marquees with rudimentary stages set up and some decent sound systems. They had a, a, um, a barn which was also served as a kind of uh, a venue at night, and it was wonderful. Um, it, It was spectacularly wonderful, and it was incredibly good... uh, antidote to the confusion of the uh, referendum precisely because it was small, precisely because it enabled um, a sharing of perspectives between a group of people with whom you could actually have conversation a lot of them, I have to say, I didn't have an enormous amount in common Um, there was a guy a wonderfully bonkers Belgian guy who had lived for four years in uh, the woods in Inverness, which I think is actually physically impossible but he had photographs uh, on on a slideshow to demonstrate that he had in fact done this um, and he was talking about permaculture, and it was permaculture is this uh, general idea of trying to engage with the rhythms of nature in such a way that you do not disrupt it, and so that you can then you know try to balance your life in, in conjunction with it. He said that there are degrees of permaculture, that you don't all have to do what he did, which was take a tarpaulin and, and uh, rudimentary knowledge of living in the wild into the woods in Inverness in order to do it, which is kind of a relief, because I don't want to live in the woods in Inverness for four years. I think I'd probably lose heart after a fairly short amount of time. Uh, there was a, a talk on um, how to brew beer, on how to make home-brewed beer by a chemistry teacher, that the instructions of which were generally get a, a kit from the chemists and follow the instructions. But he did, and then he showed us. He kind of brewed it in front of us, and that was lovely. There was uh, people making uh, you know, weave baskets. There was a, a very Heath Robinson mini-golf course that was constantly being played on by children. Um, and of course, yeah, there was a whole bunch of crusty hippies making a variety of different types of music, um, often quite loud, often quite frenetic, and a lot of jumping around and singing and so on, and plenty bit funny people getting drunk. And it, it did, I mean, for one thing, it, it reaffirmed part of a belief I had in people, because I had been accessing so much of my news, as I imagine most people have, through my computer. I've been glued to the damn thing. And that gives the illusion of interaction with other people, but it it, it, at the same time kind of takes it away from you because you're not communing, you're not offering... There's no possibility for connection in binary code, I don't think. I should also say that um, a lot of Nancy's philosophy returns to touch and physical contact as something that attempts to overcome this inherent separation between people, and that is definitely not possible via computer. It Also, the the folk festival made me rethink quite seriously the... um, the political implications of Carnival, and I think actually in the, the months to come, years to come, however much that that idea of of the disjuncture and the rupture that Carnival proposes is going to get more and more and more important. But I think all of that will have to wait for a later episode. Um, if anyone's listening is interested, then uh, the anarcho Folk Festival is planned as a yearly event, and there is I'll uh, I would thoroughly recommend it. I'll put a link to the uh, Facebook page on my own. Um, uh I've got my son with me for the next four weeks, so there'll hopefully be a couple of shows about children's theatre in there um, we'll do try to I'll try to return to a more explicitly theater based and maybe even slightly less apocalyptic, although I can't promise that show because we have been <coughs> you know we've moved very much away from theater for the last few shows. Um, Until then, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this show. If you have enjoyed it, please like it and share it on social media and iTunes. Um, The theme song is Polly Edwards' One More Broke Poet, and her website is brokepoet.com. And thanks, as ever, to Khalid Panasar for editing this show together. Have lovely days, and best of luck.